Um, yeah, Heavenly Father, <laughs> what a week it's been. Um, and your family has been going crazy. Uh, some of our relatives are, I tell you. So Lord, I pray that your peace will rule our hearts. Not fear, not predictions. And may we learn to rest in the one we say we believe in. Teach us what abiding looks like. And I pray today you'll give us some insight into that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I posted something this week, because apparently a rapture was supposed to happen. <laughs> All dogs don't go to heaven. Oh, bad joke. There we go. What? what? Oh, right. That's right. I'll try and repeat it louder for certain people. <laughs> this, this week I posted a picture on my Facebook post because it's something I, I believe. And uh, uh, people have been saying, you know, no one knows the day nor the hour. And they're using a phrase uh, of warning, of Jesus is speaking about things to come. And uh, that led to this. <clears throat> the end of the world is near. 30 AD, 60, 500, cross up, cross, cross, and does not. We have seen this stuff forever. End times predictions, the world's coming to an end, rapture practice. They literally had trampoline practices in certain church groups to prepare for the rapture. I'm very serious. No, he needs help. Remember, it's our efforts. Oh my goodness, like, okay. So, suddenly all these responses were coming from for and against. <laughs> you can imagine. It was very gracious, actually. I, I like it when the conversations are safe and respectful. You know, uh, it's not about dogmatism of who's more right than the other one. But, for those of you that haven't heard this before or know what I'm talking about, or if you're new to the church, I taught two sermons two years ago called A Hopeful Perspective on End Times. And it's on YouTube. I put the links on my post because people were commenting. I'm thinking, okay, I can't explain all of it. You know, just watch, listen to the video. Watch the video. And in the video, I present, and listen carefully, I present another menu item. Because many here in the West have been given one item, one category of understanding, revelation, or the predictions of the end of the world, as they call it. Jesus didn't say that. And... Well, if you only have that one lens, then anything else that comes up, oh, that's what it means. Everybody tells you what it means, and nobody questions it. Drives me nuts. I had two problems growing up. At, at age 18, I remember this night. It was a very powerful God night. And I questioned hell, and I questioned end times. This was a big thing. And I had to put it on the back burner because I couldn't understand it all in light of all that I was being told. Because all these movies were coming out that scare the hell right out of you. you know, like the, the end times ones and, um, you know, if you don't quite make it, you're going to get your head lopped off and, you know, all that, all that stuff. Do you remember those? They're scary. There's a new one called Left Behind, the new series. And it's the same, same kind of thing. It's all, uh, to me, it's fear. Based on fear, not love. And that's a problem. A big problem. Christ did not come to bring fear. He came to bring hope and love and life. 
And that's really, really good. So when these predictions are going on, and by the way, what happens when a specific individual writes a number of books predicting this and that, it doesn't happen, then writes another one of another date, doesn't happen, and on and on. What do you call that person? What? Rich. (laughs) Wrong. False prophet. False predictor. And people flock to this stuff. Oh, I got these calculations wrong, and I saw this now, blah, blah, blah. Well, yesterday, the rapture was supposed to happen. Hmm. Guess I'm not good enough. I didn't make it. But there would have been a lot of cool stuff left over at some of the other people's homes. (laughs) You know? Like, I didn't make it. Oh, wait a minute. Then they changed the date till it's next month now. And I'm serious. Can, Can you see the craziness of these predictions when they're using the line, no one knows the day nor the hour. But later, I think it's in 1 John, John tells them roughly the hour. The hour is nigh. Really close. So go back and watch those videos because um, uh, they will explain how I've come to a conclusion, how I've found a more hopeful perspective that I think is good news. And I don't think it's taught dogmatically. I just can't believe this fear stuff. I I don't buy it. And when you look at it historically, it doesn't make any more sense. But what I've shared with you is probably the first time, and by the way, I was scared preaching it. If some of you were here, (laughs) that was a scary Sunday, two Sundays. Like, oh my goodness, because I'm sharing something that's not part of the the box of churchianity in this region, you know, because most people believe that rapture thing and you know, and you're getting an escape out of here for all this stuff. Well, let me tell you, let me give you one little clue um, where they get the word rapture from. It's not in the Bible. Okay, neither is Trinity. Neither is Trinity. But rapture is not in the Bible. But they're talking about that verse where it says, you'll be caught up. Okay? Who are the two people that didn't die? Elijah and who? Pardon? You were telling me. Who are, who are the two people that uh, didn't have... Enoch, right. Were they, did they go up in the sky in a cloud? One of them did. Elijah did. He went up in a cloud in a chariot of fire. Enoch, he disappeared. He didn't, he didn't have to die. Jesus went up in a cloud. This whole idea of caught up. So they're thinking caught up. We're going to go up. Well, there's another linear caught up that you're not thinking about. Uh, how, many marath- how many people run marathons? <laughs> not in this church. Okay, fine. <laughs> We watch them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, they're not here. So <laughs> that's awesome. But the runners, if one person is ahead of the other one and they make the finish line, the rest will get caught up. They're going to catch up. And there is a beautiful picture there that we will get caught up altogether. Everybody will get caught up. It, it's, anyway, listen to the sermon. It's, it's really good. The only people, well, actually, you know what? We all have a left behind. We all do. Okay? It's cheeky. I know. Cheeky. Okay. Oop, did, did I just show that? Oops. Anyway. <laughs> it's from the cartoonist, the guy named The Naked Pastor. It just happens to be a cheeky joke. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, that's the only left. I know. Thank you. I, I had to do that. My wife's not here, so I can do some of these things when she's not here. Otherwise, I'm going to get it. <laughs> okay, let's get into what I really wanted to get into. Oh, by the way, uh, one last thing on the rapture. This is important. Where did it come from? 
The concept originated with a young Scottish teen, Margaret MacDonald, who went into a trance and had a vision of a secret rapture and end of the world tribulation. A guy named John Darby, the father of this dispensationalist thinking, grabbed onto what she had seen and started teaching it, but didn't catch on until C.I. Schofield heard it, ran with it, and wrote it into his study Bible. That was 100 years ago. Well, if it's in a study Bible, it has to be true. Right? That's why you have the MacArthur study Bible and the, the Swindoll study Bible. You've got all these study Bibles. Be careful. Those notes that they put in are their journey of, a, of an interpretation. Now, some of these guys have changed and grown, and, and their visions have, have changed uh, of their understanding of what these verses mean, which so should you. Your understanding of what the verses mean should continue to grow, and sometimes it will change, complete to something completely different even. That's the Holy Spirit's job to teach you. Okay, but if you're only taught one thing in how to teach, it's just like Bible college. Typically, Bible college and seminaries, they tell you what to believe. Mostly Bible college. Seminaries, they're more into the thinking, which is nice, because they're teaching how to think. They might even teach you things that you disagree with so that you learn other perspectives. So when I said, show some grace to those who believe in the rapture, I'm still going to speak out the truth, and I think it's ridiculous, but I'm going to love those people. No problem. We get along, I get along fine with a bunch of other people, some people who believe in all that. We're, we're good friends. There's no problem. Because there is a foundation of where it's come from. I may not agree with it, but I'm not going to say you're absolutely you know, wrong and I'm more right than you are because now we're eating off the wrong tree. We're eating off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and that dogmatism has no room. It's when we can get off that tree, eat from the tree of life, and have fellowship and relationship with people, even with people we disagree with. We're, this, this Christian culture is crazy in the, in the West, where you're afraid to voice an opinion because then suddenly you'll be ostracized because, what, you believe that? And there's too much fear to wrestle with your beliefs and thoughts. And that's not safe. It's not safe. It's not healthy. We need people that have other perspectives. We have people in this church right now who don't believe everything I teach, which is fine. And they share with me. We have discussions. And it's taught me to be a little more gentle. It's hard. Trust me. Because I get excited, you know. Uh, say, oh, yeah, this is so cool. You know. Uh, that's what one perspective is. <laughs> Mine. And then, you know... I, I, the gentleness has to come out, and I hope you hear that. When I don't reveal that, it doesn't come out of me. Forgive me and know my character. That's what I beg for. So if something comes out that doesn't sit right, just pray for me, okay? Or, and, ask the Holy Spirit, hey, is there something to that? And if you walk away with not agreeing, totally fine. We are a family in either way. We don't all have to agree the same things. We love the same Lord. We believe we are one with him. We have some foundational things we do hold together. Okay? That's really important. All right. Let's dig in. That was the first sermon. <laughs> the mystery of abiding. Now, what sparked this was uh, some suggestions, sermon topics that were sent to me because I had asked, you know, do you guys have any topics you want to hear about or reheard or what? This was one of them, and it's a springboard to uh, when I talked about uh, heaven, hell, 
and hope, or whatever it was I called it. Uh, because the text I'm going to look at now has been used by many, 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 many believers as a tool to say you can get cut off of Christ. You can lose your salvation. And they point to this proof text that I'm about to show you and say, there it is. And I preached it for many years. I believed it until, oh my goodness, you start digging into context, you start digging into the history, who it was written to, what, what they understood at that time, that context matters as you read the Gospels, as you read the Pauline epistles and John's letters and Peter. You've got to understand who they were speaking to. This is called hermeneutics, the basic study of the interpretation of Scripture. And many people do not apply the whole study of hermeneutics when they lift a verse out. See there. And uh, I'm finding more and more of those verses. That's why I'm bringing them up. Because it's like, wow, I used to see it that way. I want to show you too that I don't see it that way anymore. Maybe you'll find a more hopeful perspective on some of these texts. You ready to go? All right. John 15, 5. I am the true... I'll just read the whole thing and then we'll go back to it. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, NIV says cut off, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Many Bible expositors and and interpreters and writers have believed that this discussion happened between the time when they left the upper room and headed towards the cross. This is on the way to Golgotha. There's a couple places that uh, have been understood where Jesus spoke these things, and I don't think it's this one. By the gates of Jerusalem, they were like beautiful gold. I think, what did they say here? Um, The gates uh, would have been open during Passover nights, and those beautiful gates of the temple were actually a tourist attraction. They'd been forged in Greece, floated across the Hellespont, and then brought to Jerusalem, the place in Herod's temple there. They were made of bronze, and wrought into them was the golden vine, which is their symbol, fruitfulness. So that's one thought. I, I'm, I'm tending to believe is probably actually in a vineyard, which is what most say, because in the Valley of Kidron, or the side of the Mount of Olives, there was a huge vine garden there. Huge. They, they produced incredible wine over there. So, Think of this. He's, he's using stuff in front of him. He did his entire ministry, all three years. He's using people, object lessons, the tree over there, the mustard tree, the, the bread, the fish, all, all that stuff. He, he uses what's in front of him, and here he speaks about the vine in front of him. He connected with his people in their context. What happens today when we as believers start spouting off verses to people who don't believe and expect them to get it? You know, I, uh, some of those Bible verses on the side of the road, I chuckle at now. I was like, oh, really? Like, yes, it's a Bible verse, and I revere Scripture. But it's, can God use it? Yes. But some of them are so useless because you have to be the in crowd to understand what that means. Talk about exclusive. (laughs) We're trying to be inclusive. The love of Christ is for all people. 
So Jesus was using that context. All right. I am the vine, the true vine. Why would he say the true vine? He says, I am the vine, you're the branches. He says that later. But he, says, he starts off by saying, I am the true vine. This is really important. And he's addressing a major national pride. And what could that pride possibly be? What do you think? Israel thought they were the vine. We're it. We're the chosen ones. We're the elite. We got an extra in with the big guy. He gave us the rules, so we get the blessing. All right? This is the mentality. By the way, this happens today in our current culture. Different denominations. Why do you think we have so many? You know, 33,000 denominations. We can't all be wrong. Right? Like, think about it. (laughs) Certain ones will definitely have a special pride. We have an edge on this knowledge. And I, I thought that was pretty crazy, and I, I thought, okay, that group over there, you know, the Charismatics, the Pentecostals, the whatever, they, they got the Spirit, so they're all prideful with the Spirit. And then you got the Baptist, oh, we got the Word. And then, you know, and all the, and the other churches, we have the sacraments. All these people sticking their tongues out at each other, you know, in a, in a schoolyard fight. Like, it's really, really, really not fair. We need each other. We do. We can't sling mud. Because certain personalities fit in certain places. No one has all the truth. And I know when I first started discovering God's grace, I was like that. I'm right. I can take on any legalist pastor. I did, because I got the PowerPoints to prove it. I didn't realize how long it took. I didn't know I had the attitude. And it came out of me. Some of you warned me about it, but I couldn't see it. But God in his gentleness showed me and it was through some very kind people. And it was also through a confrontation of somebody else judging me and went, oh, that's what I looked like? Oh. Yeah. I don't argue anymore. I won't have a fight with anybody. Somebody wants to have coffee with me and argue with me? Have coffee by yourself. Talk to the wall. If you want to have a discussion with me, let's do that. In fact, one person here at that time was no longer here had coffee with me to confront me and a whole bunch of stuff, and that's why I learned my lesson. And I realized, no, they're not wanting, they're, they're wanting to be right, not have an honest discussion. And I kept pointing to the relationship. It never, there was no resolve, and that was it, we're done. Careful. I'm connected to that person because I'm connected to the vine. Jesus said, I am the true vine. Genuine vine. The word true means genuine. They had believed their Jewish nation, their identification with the Jewish nation was the King Tut. They were it. Top of the world. God's got our back. Well, Jesus was changing everything. In the Old Testament passages and in the parables, God is the actual owner of the vineyard. Here is the keeper, the farmer, the one who takes care of the vineyard. Jesus is the genuine vine, and the Father takes care of him. The Father takes care of the vine, of his son. Listen to this, the vine. I I never saw this until this week. It was like, cool, that was neat. Jesus became what? Man. Human. 
Okay? He became the vine. And in him and through him, all life will happen. There is no other life outside of Christ. Period. And if he is the true vine, and if his daddy's taking care of him, he's also taking care of us. He continues to dispel, dispel the myths that the father's angry and not caring. He keeps revealing the heart of the father as he's teaching about this lesson. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. This is critical. Most people miss that. He's talking about those who are in Christ. Okay? For the believer, those who believe this, you experience that connection in a way that nobody else can. An unbeliever can't feel it. They're dead to it in their mind. They need to believe. There has to be a moment of belief. We call it the salvation experience. That's the term you can use. Sometime you should look up the word sosa. Sosa. What does salvation mean? I like to preach on that sometime, but it's another scary one. Because <laughs> it, it, there's, there, it's a bigger picture of what has happened and is happening than we've been told. So every branch in me. So right away, those who fear that this is a picture of being cut off from Christ, he's saying, wait a minute, you're in me. He's speaking to the believers in front of him. That's, this is the context, okay? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Hmm. Every branch in me. We've got to get in me. You've got to get it. You've got to see and let that melt in for just a moment. That is in Christ. This is what it means to experience salvation. This passage, listen, is not about how a person gets saved. Please, don't do that. It's the moment you do that, you confuse everything. Jesus is talking about the main, the main point is what? Anybody remember? Bearing fruit. That's the context. Don't throw something in that you think is there that is not there. Fruit is mentioned six times in the first ten verses. The whole theme of this text is fruit bearing. Now, don't go around telling people they're a fruit. You know, it's not smart. We're talking about bearing fruit. Well, let's talk about the, the pruning thing, this cutting off, taking away thing, because this, this is what trips up so many people. The removal of dead wood and trimming of live wood so that its potential for fruit bearing will be improved. That's why pruning happens. That's one of the aspects. The verb translated to take away, this word here, take away, in the NIV, it's translated cut off. So if you, if you have an NIV Bible, it says cut off. Both are incorrect terms. Okay? The second term trims clean or prune. That's, that's where the prune comes from. That's a different word. So it says here, if you want to read it correctly, this, this word takes away literally means lifts up, not cuts off. Very very different. It changes the meaning, or at least what you could read into it. It changes what it means. Because if you know any vine dressers or any people that uh, do grapes, they're going to tell you right away, those branches matter. They're valuable if they're going to produce. 
Remember, you're in already. You're in. This is the in. I'm in Christ. I'm already connected to the vine. You're already connected. And what he does, he lifts us up. So the story is this. Naturally, oh, actually, I'll show you a picture of, of uh, what uh, pruning looks like. There's two parts, the, 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 the trimming and the taking away. So this is kind of, this is just a really general picture. There, here's an unkept <laughs> vine. This is trimmed back. It's pruned. And it's, it's like playing the game, what's different between the two pictures. <laughs> right? See, lop, 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 lop. Like these little lops, they're, all, they're, they're cut back. And they're done on purpose. A vine naturally grows down. That's the natural direction of a vine. That's where it's going to go. So what the, what, if you go to any vineyards, they have these things, these posts strung across. And uh, uh, they, they actually strap the vines up. And some end up going down. But they come around and they trim and they, and they move and clean. In fact, some, some branches, and it depends on the vineyard, the vine dresser goes in before harvest. And he has to do some, not cutting away, but lifts up because they've grown down that fruit's too valuable, and he cleans. That's where all the mold builds up, and, and it wrecks the plant, and, and sometimes dead wood has to be cut away because it, it'll hold contaminants. So these things have to be trimmed and pruned for more fruit. For more fruit, which means you're bearing fruit. So if you're bearing fruit, he's going to prune you. If you don't bear fruit, he's going to lift up because something's got you covered. you you got dirt on you. But later he says, you're already clean. How does that work? This is not talking about hell judgment. This is talking about the grace of Christ in your life, wanting to live his life out of you. So he bears fruit through you to others. And however he's wired you and gifted you, he lifts you up, he does not condemn you. And if you keep thinking God's angry, you're only going to read that through a condemning lens. You're only going to read that through a, a separation lens that I am separated from God and you have that separation anxiety. If you have that lens, you're going to have a hard time hearing this. I don't see that lens in Scripture at all. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, lifts up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. It's like that caramel commercial. How much for the secret? 5,000. Not enough. Not enough. I want more fruit. Not enough. Well, guess what? It's not enough in your life. He wants to bear more fruit in your life. And the pruning process can hurt. But I want you to hear this. When we enter into times of unfruitfulness, please listen to this. When we enter into times of unfruitfulness or diminished fruitfulness, it does not mean that we are under the condemnation of God. You have to hear that. Otherwise, you think, I'm being punished. Well, for me, growing up, it was, did I tithe last week? Shoot, that's why I got a flat tire. So I got to double up next week. Or I didn't have my devotion, so... This bad thing, I didn't get the promotion. Like, can you see the yin-yang lie? 
God's goal is to bless you. Now, you will face trials in life. We've talked about this many times. And sin, missing the mark, has its consequences. When you do, when you do stupid stuff, guess what? You're going to pay for it. You get into a bad relationship, the fruit of that's going to be terrible. Y'all know what I'm talking about? But you've chosen, and God still works in and through that. But don't blame God. You do 180 kilometers around a bend on a highway, and suddenly you hit the edge, and it flips and crashes the car, and a whole bunch of people are terribly hurt or killed. God did that? Really? You're the idiot. You're the one who drove that fast. Do you understand? Our choices and behaviors have consequences. So when you see the commands in the New Testament, they're not laws. They're commands. Say, hey, act like this. It's for your good. It's for your health. It's for your growth. Stop living like the world. I've given you a new mind and a new heart. You keep forgetting. He doesn't say it like that. He's far more gentle. I'm just, that's, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> just realize what that sounded like. <laughs> that's how a parent feels like sometimes when the kid's night. I've told you a hundred times, come on. <laughs> God is far different than us as parents. Far better. He's the perfect and gentle one. Those rules guidelines, commands are given to us for our benefit. Obedience should not be a curse word in the church. It should be a blessed I get to word. And that's really hard in this culture that doesn't like to be told what to do. I was at a funeral yesterday and we're giving instructions to the family members, you know, here's what to do, and one relative came in, I'm sick of being told what to do. Fine, good thing I'm not related to you, you know. <laughs> but people don't want to be told. They don't want to be told. There's a pride in it. Real pruning is necessary for any vine. Dead wood is worse than fruitlessness. Dead wood can harbor disease and decay. An untrimmed vine will develop long, rambling branches that produce little fruit because most of the strength of the vine is given to the growing wood. Let's go back here for a minute. If we let this grow like crazy, all the energy and sap is going to go into the growth of it. But if you trim back, now all the energy gets redirected into the, to the core of its purpose. What is your purpose? Do you even know? I know God's will for you, even if you don't. Not because I'm a pastor, because the Bible tells me. God's will for you is Jesus. Period. And that you know him. And as you know him better, fruit will develop in your life. That is how he's created us. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. This purging is accomplished by the word of God. You are already clean. You are already forgiven. Huh. Many people forget that. 
Christ's observation here in this text is not to be taken as a threat that pruning will happen or things will get trimmed or the lifting up is for your benefit. We're not in danger of being lost if we fail to bear fruit. We are in danger of living an essentially empty, useless life. Do you want that? I don't. How many people walk through their daily walk feeling unproductive and useless? More than you want to admit. This is huge. Peter understood this. He was one of the guys there. He got it. Second Peter 1. I've read this many times, but I love this text. Second Peter 1, verses 8 and 9. You've got to read the first part because it talks about the maturing process of bearing fruit and what adds to what, to what, to what. It, you'll love it when you see it. The more you grow like this, which was just described, the more you will become productive and useful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop these virtues are blind, or at least very short-sighted. No glasses on anymore. They broke their glasses and need a new prescription. They can't see anymore. They have, listen, already forgotten that God has cleansed them from their old life of sin. Do you trust your daddy? Your heavenly daddy? Your heavenly father? I, 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 don't, I won't be able to finish, but I'm going to run to the end of the text that I was going to talk to you about because I want to show you where I'm going. One, two, three, four, five. See, it's a long sermon. Nope. Here it is. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This whole context is for your joy. It's good news. Not what people have been using this text for to scare the hell out of you. It's so that your joy will be complete. Does that make sense? We're going to come back next week and finish up this little section because this is the core of what it means to abide in Christ. What does it mean? Come back next week. We'll dig in some more. And if you've been here long enough, you've heard this. But we need to be reminded because we can become blind. We can forget that our life has been cleansed. You have been given purpose, the purpose of Christ, the purpose of Christ in you. Let him decide how he's going to love people around you through you. Not you try to figure out a list. Although he may bring you to a list. That may help. Who knows? All of it can be used. Don't dismiss all that stuff. God inspires any way he chooses. It's good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of lifting up. Especially when we feel down, when we feel dirty, you have cleansed us. You lift us up. You even wash off the outward dirt that may be on us. But we are clean. Thank you for that. I pray this morning this will have inspired some hope 
and confidence that you are a good daddy. That we don't have to tiptoe around you afraid we're going to be cut off. We can trust your love that this is all for our good. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God is good. We can trust him. He has a purpose in developing you, growing you up. I'm reminded of one really cool story because in this culture we're in, we want to do something great for God. Where did that come from? That's not in the Bible. Wanting to do something great for God. Uh, It's backwards. God's doing something great in you and through you, and you may never see the purpose of it until you see him face to face. And even then you may not. You won't care by then anyway. One lady named Esther, she did one thing. She stood up for her people for such a time as this. That's the line. Are you okay for being used for one event? Or maybe he's already used you for one event and you get to spend the rest of your life not worrying about trying to do something great for God, but instead just loving him and loving your fellow saints. Are you okay with that? (laughs) It's a good question. He's the fruit bearer and we're just attached. That's it. We'll get into that next week. (laughs) Thanks.